Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V-Radio. Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V-Radio. Tonight, I'm proud to once again have the band Harris Sonic, uh, the member you guys probably know the best, being activist, being Ben Stewart, the creator of Chimatica, Esoteric Agenda, and Ungrip. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking to Ben and his friends you know, in the band, about the band more specifically, but I'm sure that we'll end up touching on activism from time to time during this episode. Uh, if you might remember, uh, Harris Sonic was actually at the last Zeitgeist Media Festival. That was uh, the one last year. We've got another one coming up here pretty soon. If this is your first time checking out V-Radio, please go to my website, <coughs> v-radio.org. Uh, there you can click archives and find lots more uh, shows like this one, interviews with documentary filmmakers, activists, scientists, uh, politicians, meaning some of the few good ones, and uh, <laughs> lots of other great content, including some uh, roundtable discussions of current events going on in the world. So, all with all that said, uh, once again, welcome Ben and here is Sonic to V Radio. Thank you for having us. Yeah, what's going on? Excellent. So, how many do you guys? How many of you guys do I have with me today? Go ahead and introduce yourself one at a time. Um, you actually have four of us here today. I'm I'm Jared. I'm the uh, guitarist in the band. Okay. I'm Mike. This is Mike. I'm the bass player in the band. Uh, ben, the singer. And uh, Brandon, the keyboards. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I think that's uh, more than we had last time. Um, that's good. Um, I think it was actually, I don't know if I remember, it was your bass player that was absent last time or not. But, um, it was our guitarist. Our guitarist. guitarist was, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Well, it's good to have you guys here today. You know, I've been following, obviously, uh, you know, what you guys have been doing anytime I can catch it, and uh, I've liked all of the music that I've heard of yours so far. I, I really enjoy that you've managed to, to have capture a modern sound that still has a socially conscious message. I think that uh, one of the things I like most about Hero Sonic is that, at least from the songs that I've heard, your lyrics have some serious meaning to them, and... Uh, that's something I've, I personally, anyway, as a musician myself, have found has been missing from a lot of music uh, more recently. Is that there? There doesn't seem to be as much substance to a lot of the lyrics. Uh, they kind of say, "Well, we want people to be able to make up whatever meaning they want or whatever." But I don't know. Having been a songwriter, I kind of feel like that's a cop out. I mean, um, feel free then, obviously, guys. You know, take a moment and comment on that. What goes into writing the lyrics to Harrisonic's music? Well, usually, you know, I smoke a blunt and I, I roll in the bends around the block, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, other than that, no, seriously, it's uh, um, it's really just the, uh, it's what we see. It's kind of what we vibe on. You know, there's really no telling. The lyrics come from the music a lot of the times. Usually the music comes first. So, um, so it's really all of us getting together and uh, like kind of just tapping into Hyrosonic and just seeing, you know, seeing what Hyrosonic wants to write because um, the lyrics will eventually come from that. But you know, it's it's not really a struggle to um, to to put a little bit of like a socially conscious conscious message into music when that's kind of just how you know you and the four other members of the band live. That's excellent. Does anybody else in the band want to comment on that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that I love about the band lyrically, uh, more specifically with, you know, Ben's involvement and, and all that he writes, you know, I don't know that he does it um, intentionally, but I think a lot of times he's kind of 
speaking on behalf of the band, you know, knowing um, us as well, you know, we've been together for almost 10 years now. We've been doing this a long time together. So we, we have uh, relationships that go, you know, much deeper than just a typical working or a creative relationship. And yeah, I think that's reflected um, in the lyrics. It really comes down to, you know, where we're at as people. And I think Ben does a pretty good job, you know, conveying that, uh, you know, he makes it, um, kind of a message from all of us, you know, it's, it's, there's some things that are in his writing that are more personally, uh, seated in, in the content, but really all in all, I think it's very, very cool that, you know, we can stand behind what, you know, what our singer's actually writing about, you know, as a lyricist. Well, I mean, to piggyback on that, it's pretty rad, uh, you know, I mean, for one, like, I'd like everyone to remember that the films actually came from the band. Um, the very first film, Esoteric Agenda, was actually supposed to be about the message of the band. Um, so it it just kind of took its its own life from there. But um, had the band not been a part of my life, Esoteric Agenda would not have, have come about, at least in the way that it did. So it, in a sense, the, the films are an extension of what I learned from, you know, th- these four guys and, you know, from our interaction with one another, writing music and traveling, you know, traveling all around. Excellent. Anyone else want to comment on that? I think I think we would just kind of be uh, saying the same thing that both Ben and Jared said. I mean, I completely agree with what Jared said in in the aspect of you know it's it's nice to be able to you know stand proudly behind a message. You know, I mean, I, I'm completely confident in you know everything that Ben writes lyrically, and you know, I I think that you know we're all pretty much on the same page. That you know, it's kind of cool when there's been at our merch table actually we have a free listening booth so people can come up and listen uh prior to us playing and it's it's cool that they feel you know they can ask any of the members of the band you know either like you know what the message was or what the song's about or whatever the question may be and and i feel like since we all stand behind the message with confidence you know that any of us can answer you know the questions appropriately and you know give them the information they're looking for you know no problem. Yeah, I was just going to give everybody an opportunity, but yeah, if you think it's pretty much, I like the fact that you guys are all unified. That's that's so different than what I'm accustomed to dealing with. I was a musician in like the late '80s, early '90s period when rock and roll was going through another period of trying to redefine itself, and a lot of the bands that came up from that uh, that time period were just like taking time bombs in the way that they interacted with one another. And for you guys to have been together for ten years and to be, you know, been through so much. Um, actually says a lot for you. Is, is there anything that you would say is kind of a, a secret or a method to the way that you guys maintain that level of, you know, confidence and friendship with one another, or is it just a natural chemistry? That's, we can't stand each other. <laughs> yeah, Ben just gave me a noogie. <laughs> There's um, violence here on V-Radio. I, I think that the, 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 a good part of it has to really be chemistry, you yeah. know, because a lot of us have worked with other musicians, um, you know, creatively, professionally. A lot of us have been hired on for other projects. And, I mean, even with the touring, I think that we've done with other bands and we've we've toured as a package with, like, another group, um, we, we typically don't always see that interaction that we have. And I, I think a lot of it does come down to just a natural chemistry. I, I, and I think... There is a portion of it too that I think we've developed. You know, we've we've put a lot of work into. You know, there's a lot of times that some pretty tough stuff comes down the pike for us, and I think that we're all kind of interested in keeping each other's heads on straight as well as our own. I, I think it we kind of realize that it it benefits us to 
to treat each other the way that we want to be treated. You know, it's 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 far beyond just a, a working relationship at this point. Um, but I think that we've gotten there just because of, um, you know, somewhat of a, just a natural chemistry. I don't think there's any way we could have stayed together this long. No, we definitely, I, I completely agree with what Jared said. And I mean, just some of the bands we've toured with and everything, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, um, you know, we, we watch how they interact with each other sometimes and, and, you know, we kind of like, you know, get back in the van after a show and we're just like, wow, we actually have it pretty good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just because they don't, I, I don't, I think, a, I think a lot of bands, um, they, they sweat over a lot of the small stuff that doesn't need to be sweated over, you know? And I mean, you know, I mean, I love these guys, you know, I, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a mutual respect. And, you know, if something's not working, we work it out. You know, we all have the same goal in mind. We're all here for the same reason. You know, there's no need for us to, you know, start getting big heads about it or anything, you know, I mean, you know, we've, we've come this far and, you know, it's definitely, I mean, it's chemistry that has certainly kept us together. I mean, we, I mean, like Jared said, we interact with a lot of musicians and, you know, it, sometimes we're hard to get along with as musicians, you know, musicians are hard to get along with sometimes. Yeah, Mike's right. Um, it really just comes down to the fact that we're more than just friends. It's it's more like brothers, you know, because we do have difficult times even, you know, between us, but we recognize that we're family and, um, you know, the number one most important thing is uh, is really just each other. So, you know, as we're writing, that that's conveyed you know, we, we've we actually had people say that they can sense that without even knowing us. They can sense it by just watching us play on stage. And, um, you know, I, I think that all just comes down to the fact that we, we all really believe in what we're doing. We all absolutely love what we're doing. And, you know, you know, like Jared said, we've had a lot of, lot of hard times. We've, we've successfully been screwed over by everybody that we've ever worked with. And, you know, that's just the nature of, that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of the industry. And the the only thing that really keeps us going is the fact that, you know, we love each other and we love what happens when, you know, when we're all in a room and we got our instruments in our hands. And, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't really know how to put it other than that. It's just the fact that, um, you know, the, the art really just keeps us all together. Love. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Now, Let's talk first of all and let's just kind of get into the the nuts and bolts of the band. Let's first of all discuss the name. Where did the name Harrisonic come from? Um well it, it, it's kind of like a compound word. It's something that we kind of wanted uh we kind of wanted it to be uh a word that if you were to type it into Google or like a search engine that only you know, only us would come up. So, Hierosonic, Hiero, from hieroglyphic stands for sacred. And uh, sonic um, is just vibration or noise. So, you know, back in, what was it, 2002 when we came up with that name? It was 2000, yeah. Back in two, <laughs> 2002 when we came up with that name, it actually means much more to us now. We didn't recognize kind of like the, you know, how profound that was to what we're doing now. But, um... You know, the name itself, back then, it's kind of grown and it's kind of become its own thing. And, um, you know, obviously I I could get a little bit further into um, what the actual, you know, name means. But to me, I think that it's kind of, it's kind of there for other people to interpret. I see what you're saying. Um, It's definitely very unique. Like it has, you know, I've never heard of anything like it, you know, basically, and to say that, 
you know, those words put together in that way, you know, sonic implies sound. Um, I know hero means something that's not clicking in my head at the moment, but overall, you know, I definitely like that. Now, um, to go a little bit, first of all, let's let's kind of get once again into the, the gears of this. Um, starting with, we'll say, um, the, the keyboarder, just because I don't know if I've heard from him yet, and I apologize when you have a multiple person on the call and I don't have a way to visually recognize you. Um, what were your influences in music before you started in Harrisonic? Um, it's actually really simple. I, uh, I've been a, a Nine Inch Nails fan for many, many, many years growing up, and it's actually what influenced me to start tinkering around with electronics and the keyboard. Uh, but I also grew up on uh, a lot of like uh, standard stuff, uh, Billy Joel, Elton John, uh, even Def Leppard. You know, my mom was into quite a <laughs> eclectic range of music so that's kind of what i grew up on i just uh she she always told me ever since uh, i was three years old she knew that i would do music because i would be running around in my underwear playing uh with an acoustic guitar and big sunglasses on stuff like that but um from the nine-inch nails aspect i started just getting into more of that mainstream quote mainstream uh industrial music so I, I bounced around a lot during the 90s. I actually was not into Nirvana or Stone Temple Pilots or any of that, uh, you know, the, the grunge stuff that came out uh, in the 90s. I was on the other side of the fence uh, exploring the electronic side. And only up until recently, I started getting into that older stuff. So um, that that's pretty much where it all stems from. That's actually really interesting to hear, especially some of the diversities. I don't actually have a problem with you saying Def Leppard. Uh, they're not my favorite band, but they were my favorite concert of all time. I went to see them once uh, at DTE, otherwise known as Pine Knob here in Michigan, You know, just because they were a band I had listened to in the 80s, and they just had so much energy and so much sincerity on the stage. Like They really cared that everybody had fun, and you could tell. And there were people yelling you know, in the parking lot for like an hour after that show was over, just cheering about all the energy that they had managed to conjure by going through, like, their greatest hits, so to speak. So, yeah, you know, I guess that's kind of an ode to my generation. And then you, you mentioned Elton John. You know, that's a guy that transcends many generations. Um, as far as, like, the keyboarding itself, if you had to say three names that come to mind, no particular order, you know, that impacted you to decide to become a keyboarder, what would they be? What names? Uh, it'd be Trent Reznor. Um, Elton John, of course, and uh, the third one's kind of tricky because I've I've come to love a couple newer guys more than some of the older guys, and um, I don't know why I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, from uh, the lead singer of Muse is like Matthew Bellamy. Matthew Bellamy, yeah, he's unbelievable, <laughs> and um, he's actually he himself and um, you know the guys in the band are influencing me more to get into a little bit more of classical playing. Because I'm not I'm not formally trained whatsoever mm -hmm. uh, in piano, so I'm I'm starting to look into the more classical side of things uh, thanks to people like Matthew Bellamy and uh, Elton John and stuff like that. So those those are probably my like my, my primaries right now. That's awesome. Um, ever check out The Doors or Pink Floyd? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Th those are heavy influences too, but uh, you know. On the spot, off the top of my head, that's the, the, the first one that I really think of most of the time. Oh, that's excellent. Now, just as a personal note to myself, because I've recently discovered this uh, and found myself really liking it, I wanted to ask your opinion as a Nine Inch Nails fan. Um, what did you think of Johnny Cash's version of Hurt? 
I was actually quite good uh, for the sheer fact that Johnny Cash is uh, a legend. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's another one that transcends multiple generations. And I, I thought it was just interesting that, uh, you know, a man like that that's been around for so long recognized the fact that there is some fantastic songwriters out there. So he, you know, did a whole compilation of covers, and that was pretty much the main one that got so much attention because, one, it was so impacting to hear his voice singing those lyrics and in the method that he did it. And uh, I I loved every second of it. I actually have the music video to that on a standalone DVD, and that's all that's on it. Yeah, I believe it. That video, that's that's actually what uh, apparently did Trent Reznor in as far as watching that. He he watched that video and said he cried like he had lost a girlfriend because the song wasn't his anymore. Yeah. So, such powerful imagery of like this long man's life and then the fact that I mean he passed away like just a few months after that. It was like this was his farewell to the world. But I apologize for the brief tangent. Um oh. I was not a nine inch nails person at all before I listened to that. <laughs> so that that's the funny thing about that. Um I appreciate what Trent Reznor has accomplished as a musician. It was just a matter of differences of you know, of approach. But um but either way, um I, I listened to that and was like, Wow, this is really great. So but anyway, um, all right. That being said, I will now move on. Uh, did, did you guys say you have a drummer? I apologize. I yes. Um, please come forward then. Cause oh, I he's not hear. here. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Here. Yeah. He's the one that couldn't make it today. Oh, I always, I'm always missing one of you. Well, then I'll move on to bass. Um, what are your, what were your influences that got you first in the music before Hero Sonic? Um. Red Hot Chili Peppers are probably my favorite band of all time. I mean, if I really had to, like, sum it up, mm-hmm. I just love the grooviness, the vibe, the funk. I just love, I love all of it. I mean, I, I grew up, um, <clears throat> besides that, though, I grew up actually listening to a lot of punk rock and just, you know, um, which is kind of weird because I, I don't really listen to punk rock anymore now. But, uh, I mean, I grew up listening to, like, Operation Ivy and, um, you know, uh, kind of drawing a blank here. A lot of the early 90s bands I really latched on to, like Soundgarden, um, Rancid, Green Day. That's, um, yeah, sorry, I just kind of drew a blank real quick. But I like a lot of the older stuff. You mentioned The Doors earlier. Uh, they're actually, they've been a favorite of mine for for forever, really. Them and uh, Pink Floyd, yeah, I think, you know, those are influences of all of ours. I, I probably have to say, you know. Absolutely, you know, it's it's funny. You know, it, I I find myself mentioning keyboards again, which is why I brought up the Doors. Was just that uh, I often get into arguments with people that you know think they know about rock and roll, or like you know what place does keyboards have in rock and roll? And I usually have to pull out Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, and remind oh, them I- that. <laughs> The piano is absolutely part of rock and roll. You know, it may not be it may be difficult to find a place for it, say in like death metal or something, but Yeah. No, it's it's definitely you know, it's all in how you in how you use the instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean you know, nine inch nails fits it in very nicely and you know, I mean it's 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 definitely an instrument. It, it piano is probably I, I play a little, but it's it's definitely probably my favorite sounding instrument and what you can do with it. Um yeah, I, I mean, Rayman Zarek is just, he, he's incredible. He's hes a very talented, you know, songwriter and, and you know, pianist. And uh, Tori Amos is another one, actually. I, I got into her 
probably like her pianos will blast your head off. <laughs> she's oh my really god, good. she's incredible. I got in, I got, I got turned on to her when I was probably like around like twenty years old or so, and I've just ever since then I, I've really been hooked. I, I could just really listen to her all day. Now, we get back getting back to bass. When you mention uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, it's interesting. You know, obviously Flea is perhaps one of the more uh, recognizable bass players in the industry, and he's also recognizable in the music. There are so many uh, bass players that are in the band that people don't even know they're there. Uh, and I, I think that it's it, it's some of that can just be the egos of the people in the band. Like I was watching a documentary not long ago, and they talked about Led Zeppelin and didn't say one word about John Paul Jones, and that's like my favorite, one of my favorite bass players of all time. Yeah, that's a shit. Yeah, I don't know. That's he's yeah. but he's such a quiet person though, so you don't you know you don't hear from him. But his bass is just I don't know. I cannot imagine Led Zeppelin without hearing his bass. So, but um, but either way, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's good that you you know you picked up some people on that, and I, and I catch some of that in your music as well. So, um, you know, can you think of uh, any other bass influences or things that compels you to take up the bass as opposed to other instruments? Oh, actually, you know, I I wanted to play guitar, but my best friend at the time played guitar, and he told me that it'd be easier for me to join a band if I played bass because everyone plays guitar. <laughs> so that, that, there's there's no unique story. It's just kind of, it's just you know, cold hard you know facts right there. It's there's no. I wasn't really. I just kind of. I wanted to play music. I wanted to join a band, and you know, every, and it was true. Everybody I knew did play guitar, and no one you know had a bass player. So as soon as I picked up the bass, I was really you know kind of jamming a lot and um, hot commodity. You yeah. have that in common with Duff McKagan. He was originally a guitar player, too. Um, took up the bass to get his foot in the door, as he put it. It was the guy from Guns N' Roses. Um, now in Velvet Revolver. But, uh, you know, excellent. All right, we'll move on to the guitar player. Um, what were your influences in music before Hero Sonic? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I listened to... I, I, I probably... I, I don't want to say that I have, like, the... Everybody in the band has really, really diverse influences, but I, I never really, I, I went through like a lot of phases growing up, you know, mm -hmm. like I would get really into like classic rock and listen to, you know, The Doors and Hendrix and Janis Joplin and all that stuff. Like I went through that when I was a teenager, you know, when I was suffering from a little bit of the rebelitis, you know, and that was kind of like a, a, a small part of, you know, my influence. And I, I, I got into kind of more modern music when I got a little bit older um, I've always been a huge fan of uh, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. I mean, Epic. I, I mean, I don't even. I, I mean, I, I can't even really say what it is that he does that, that draws me to his playing. But I, I just kind of dug the fact that he was one of those guys that he could say more with one note, you know, than uh, than an entire score of, of you know, sixteenth you know, arpeggio, sweet picking, all, all the crazy techniques that a lot of the real technical, the real techie guys do. I've always liked guitar players like that. You know, Keith Richards. Um, another one of my favorite guitar players is uh, The Edge from U2. And, I mean, they're obviously one of the biggest bands in the world and probably not an act that I would typically listen to. But I think once I actually started noticing specifically what he was doing within the band, it, it really drew me into them. But I mean, I listened to a lot of pop music. I listened to, um, 
really, really heavy stuff. I listened to a lot of instrumental. Like, uh, I was really big into a group called the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Um, they were out in the early 70s, and uh, the guy that kind of headed up all that, his name was John McLaughlin. He, he played for Miles Davis and kind of recruited a few of the guys that were working with um, with Miles Davis at the time and started his own band and added a few other members. And You know, so I went through a phase of, like, listening to a lot of prog and, um, you know, the, the, the more, like, experimental kind of... Um, acid jazz type stuff like I got I got really into everything and you know now it's it's kind of like I could I mean I really honestly I could listen to a Taylor Swift song and I could find something that I like you know <laughs> may not go out and buy it but and you know I, I, I think a big part of the guitar aspect for me actually came from the guys in my band because when I first met them I think when I very first met them I was actually playing drums in another band Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it turned out that they wanted to get a second guitar player, and you know we couldn't find somebody. And I ended up playing guitar, and we got a new drummer. And as soon as I started playing out with this band playing guitar, everybody was asking me like, "What are you doing playing drums?" And these guys were actually probably one of the first guys that actually uh, one of the first other bands at the time I wasn't playing with them. They were playing together with another guitar player. And this was like really, really early on. I mean, probably 2003. Somewhere, uh, yeah, we were. I mean, we were still kids, you know. And yeah, I mean, they just kind of said to me like, "Why are you? Why are you playing drums? Why are you not playing guitar?" And I just never went back to playing drums after that. I guess. Yes, you know, I've seen, I've heard of like transitions like that. Like apparently, the Van Halen brothers, uh, Alex and Eddie, actually swapped. Like they were originally like uh, Eddie wanted to be a drummer and uh, Alex wanted to be a guitar player. And then they yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, yeah. Matt Bellamy from Muse was originally the drummer in Muse, and mm-hmm. something happened, and he ended up having to sing and play guitar. And I mean, look at look where he's. I mean, he's he's at the top of a lot of lists, you know. Excellent. Well, yeah, and um. Now, you know, it's it's good that you brought up some of those things, especially about David Gilmore. I think I was reading once in a blog where somebody pointed out that he's perhaps one of the more uh, recognizable in the fact that the guy can play two notes and you know who he is. Like, oh, well, there goes David Gilmore. Um, I think him and Jimmy Page are the two that I usually recognize the most when they start playing. And um, I have to say that like the funny thing about him, as you pointed out, is that he does so much with so few notes um, is like... a the, all the stuff that happens during, um, I want to say, uh, Welcome to the Machine. There's that beginning part that's just really trippy, and then oh, you know yeah. he'll just play a few notes and a couple more notes, and you know just bluesy that that at the same time has that you know that that rock you know thing to it that's just powerful. And well, I mean, yeah, if you listen to Comfortably Numb, for example, I mean that's mm-hmm. probably his most famous. You know, it's like the most epic of everything he's done. You know, it's. It's not a, a hard song to play. You know, what he's actually playing, you know, note for note, it's not difficult. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually all pretty easy if you have any kind of technique. But it was just the way he did it. You know, it was just the feel that he had and just, like, what was actually coming out of his amplifier. Any other guy under the sun could play that exact same stuff with the exact same equipment, but it, it just it wouldn't be David Gilmore. Yep, absolutely. It was good to hear that uh, Roger Waters and David Gilmore were finally on the same stage again, uh, apparently not long ago. Um, I don't know where, but I just I heard that on the radio and went, what? Yeah, that, that was pretty crazy, but it gives me hope since um, I'm a fan of certain bands that are very destructive to themselves. And 
you know, maybe if they can put their stuff aside, just maybe perhaps Guns N' Roses will get back together. <laughs> uh, I hope not. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. So now, Ben, obviously I've talked to you a lot. Um, we don't usually talk as much about music on the air, but um, since today is a band interview, um, let's talk about your influences. Well, um, you know, basically... I guess a lot of the influences that I'd probably tell you aren't um aren't exactly like singers and it's not uh necessarily because of their voice. I mean, you know, I, I love, love, love um Jim Morrison. He's probably just because of what he was at that time frame, what he represented, the type of uh you know, the liberty and freedom that he expressed, that's kind of like more of the it factor of what kind of drives me. Um, you know, Jim Morrison, uh, Del Shannon, even, you know, I, I loved his vocals, you know, Trent Reznor has always been one of uh, my biggest influences. Um, and, you know, I, I love Leonard Cohen. I like Tom Petty, you know, and I'm just speaking vocally, you know, they're, they're all great lyricists as well, but, you know, I think lyric, lyricists, um, and just the people who can put words together so well, that's what really kind of that drives me a little bit more than, you know, what the, what the vocals bring forth because you, you got to feel it. But, um, I would say Eminem, uh, a lot of hip hop, uh, as I was, yeah, Billy Joel, as I was growing up, um, it was just the way that you can play with such a simple line and say something very, very ordinary, but play with the words and make it, um, make it just a little bit more fun, like a riddle. Um, and here's an example that doesn't even necessarily have to do with a song, but Jay-Z was doing an interview, and uh, somebody was asking him, this, this chick was asking him, you know, oh, I hear that, you know, some people are saying that you're a part of the Illuminati. And he was just like, oh, really? And uh, she was like, yeah, what do, you, what do you say to that? And he was just like, I don't know, it's just a little too Tom Hanks for me. And I just thought that was so rad because, you know, he, he didn't say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's a little bit too much like the movies. You know, he 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 just wrapped it in a in a cooler way for you to think about it. And you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, Eminem does that very well with lyrics. He can say something that's you know, it's not like no other rapper has uh, said it before, but he just says it in a way that's cool. And I uh, you know, I guess that's that's also the root of everything that um, we you know, Hyrosonic, everything that we do. We don't really have to have a standard to it. It doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be socially conscious. It doesn't have to be anything but cool. If it's cool, you know it. You feel it, and that's all that it really you know. It's all that really matters. Like, like we were talking about comfortably numb. I, I get goosebumps every time you know I hear that solo by Gilmore because it's just cool. You can't deny it. It's cool. It hits you. It reaches you. It's kind of like uh, uh, Black by Pearl Jam. You know that song always, always, always gives me goosebumps. And there's really nothing that you could say about it you know it's it's, it's kind of bittersweet it's got this it's got that but the bottom line is it's cool you know and that's i i guess what an artist really taps into is just whatever's cool about it and i think you know i guess if if we're on the topic of um influences i'll just say jim morrison because you know what he did at the time you know he wasn't the best this or the best that he just was cool he was really really cool in what he did and the approach he took now, 
this is a this might sound a little controversial, but hey, I'm on a talk show. Um, what I want to ask you guys is because I've been struggling with this concept myself as a musician and as an artist, um, and this has to do because we're talking about Jim Morrison. Obviously, this this brought it to my head. Was um, some people suggest that uh, you have to use drugs to write good music, and then some people suggest, and this is actually the the side that I've kind of come up on is. I'm like, because I've never had any problem writing music, and I've never used anything. I've never had any problem writing stories. I've never used anything. And I'm not, and I don't, I'm not getting down on people for using. My question is, is it a matter of the drugs creating the music, or is it a matter of perhaps people who are often the best writers usually also tend to be kind of eccentric personalities who might gravitate towards addictive behavior? I know that's a deep question, and that's why I asked it. Anybody want to take a crack at that? All of the above. I, I think I, I don't think there's like a. It's definitely the drug, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think it. Yeah, I, I think there is something to be said for people that are more creative and um, people that are driven, you know, by passion, uh, being kind of for whatever reason it may be uh, more partial to partaking in those kinds of activities. I, you know, I think for us, um, our whole thing is is making sure that we're in the headspace that we need to be in to do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times uh, with musicians that, that entails doing drugs or, you know, drinking or whatever it is they're doing. But I think ultimately that's kind of what they're trying to do. You know, they're trying if, if they're writing songs, you know, like Motley Crue, for example. I mean, they wrote the songs that they wrote and they lived a lifestyle. And I, I'm sure that there was probably some kind of benefit to, to kind of, you know, uh, walking the walk, you know, in, in their case. And. It, it does become very, very destructive for a lot of people, and, and for us, you know, believe me, we have a good time when we're when we're working, when we're writing. When, but it, it ultimately, we have to keep our heads in the game to keep doing this because we we have to be doing this. It's not something that is really optional for us. And you know, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of musicians that we see that just never really go anywhere because of those kinds of things, because of you know the drugs or the alcohol. And so. I, you know, I think the main thing is is that keeping yourself, you know, in a position to to do what you do to creatively to to get out whatever it is you have inside you. It's like you know, some people need drugs for that kind of thing. You know, we we are definitely not that band, you know. And I don't know. You know, I think I think what Jared's saying is really right. You know, the it, drugs aside, I mean, drug when people take drugs, I think that has to do with the fact that. Truly, you know, artistic people, as far as I've come to notice, they see the world with, you know, just a fantastic wonder. Like, they, you know, everything is amazing. Everything you look at, the simplest to the most complex thing, is just incredible. And, you know, you you can look at some of the best musicians out there, and you just look at their eyes, and you can tell that they see the world. So, you know, that also... Obviously, there are those times where the the high wears off artistically, and you want to replace that. So, you know, you, I think you, in some way, kind of nailed it on the head. Uh, for some people, um, highly artistic people wanting to stay in that mind frame, they they may recognize a little bit of stimulation from a substance. But, you know, do I think it's necessary? Absolutely not. You know, I mean, you can breathe heavily for 20 minutes and, uh, you know, it can put you in just as cool of a state. I've done it. So, <laughs> so I'm doing it right now. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is like, 
You know, some people, uh, I've, I've heard musicians that are driven by sex. You know, I've heard, mu- you know, musicians and artists that are driven by just random different things in their lives, like taking walks in the woods or killing puppies and things like that. You never know what actually gets people's, you know, uh, creative juices flowing. But the bottom line is um, drugs seem to come about because especially when you're getting into, um, you know, you, you look back into the 60s and 70s when the, the psychedelic era came about, obviously what, you know, what a lot of people say about that is it expands the mind. And that's that's a common thing that somebody would be looking for if you see the world and you want to see more of it. And I, I just think that comes from a general fascination of everything you see. You know, so an artist, when, when you see the world in such a, you know, psychedelic way on your own, uh, you want to keep that going a lot of times. And that's where, you know, the, the three-day binges come, and, you know, like yada, 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 you know, the same old song and dance that you hear, so... That's that's my two cents. That makes sense. Good answer. Now, let's get a little bit into you guys' experiences as a band, just different things that have happened to you. And once again, I apologize in re-asking some of these questions. It's just that I'm I'm sure the audience would be interested in hearing some of the answers, and unfortunately, just due to an Internet accident, um, some people were not able to hear that show because I accidentally (laughs) deleted it due to my Internet lag. Um, So uh, let's talk, first of all, obviously you guys got to participate uh, in summer of 2003, in a battle of the bands, uh, apparently produced by Streetwise Promotions, you guys got to play in a battle of bands uh, consisting of over 400 bands across the country, um, and you won that competition. What was that like? Um, you know, that was... I'm, I'm going to let one, one of the other guys speak, but I, I'll just say that it was, it was fantastic. It was one of the coolest experiences, but we were kids. We were very, we were very young when it went down, um, you know. So, being right out of high school, you know, I mean, I, I I was very thrilled to you know be opening and you know opening for the bands that I used to look up to that I still look up to now, you know, and being able to meet some of them and just kind of hang out and uh, it was it was a very uh, it was a very um, I was a big pill to swallow that day. I don't know any other way to put it, really. You know, it was just a reality check. Just to put it into perspective real quick, we played with Audio Slave, Incubus, A Perfect Circle, Jane's Addiction, 30 Seconds to Mars, Peter DeStefano, uh, Jurassic <laughs> 5. There's a whole slew of bands that we grew up listening to. And, you know, you, you have to imagine ranging from age 17 to, like, you know, 19, 20, we were... We were pissing our pants, basically. We were backstage <laughs> sitting at a table. There's Jared Leto getting a massage. You know, there's Chris Cornell walking by us. There's Tom Morello. There's Brandon Boyd and, you know, and Perry Farrell. And we're just sitting there kind of like, what do we do? Do we say something? Like, no, no, shut up. And we just sat there, just staring at people. And, you know, we, we said our goodbyes and, and then we left. Well, I think we got kicked out of backstage. But um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was fantastic, but also frightening. So that was, well, obviously, just because I hadn't gotten to that part of the story yet, that was when you guys won the Battle of Bands, and because of that, you got to go to Lollapalooza in Seattle, Washington. Um, and you know, to, to be up against 400 other bands and be able to get this rare opportunity, uh, and then, you know, as you said, like all your heroes are just kind of around you, and you're very young, as you put it. Um, and I think that's also another thing that, that if you don't have the right kind of, uh, what would be the word I would use, 
uh, fortitude. Um, it is something that can can wreck a star if they're not careful. You know, just being thrust in that world so quickly all at once. Um, you know, and that is, I think, something that many musicians find they can't handle. You know, it happens too much, too fast, and then just kind of comes crashing down on them. And the fact that you guys are still here 10 years later is, is a testament to that fortitude. Well done. Um, now, one of the things that, you know, uh, obviously that happened after Lollapalooza, you know, for some people, you would think that that would be the time that you guys would get, like, rocketed forward. Um, but instead, you know, uh, apparently you guys basically took a kind of a lower profile um, what is it that made you know fueled that decision? Did you guys you know that, that made you decide to take a lower profile rather than capitalizing on Lollapalooza? Uh, you want to hit it? Go ahead. I can, I can feel that. Kyle, you got it. It, it, it kind of came down to when we when we came home and we put everything into perspective. It was a situation where we we knew we could be better than what we presented at that time, and that was also when Jared wasn't even in the band yet. That's when we had our original guitarist. So we kind of went back to the drawing board because we we kind of had the false expectations of exactly what the whole situation was. And we thought exactly what you said, that, okay, this is going to propel things. But when we got home, the reality set in, like, okay, what can we do to improve and what can we do to make ourselves better? So that, that was kind of a moment when I think we, uh, a few of us looked at each other and said, all right, we really need to figure out exactly what we're doing with this. We were only together for six months when uh, the Lollapalooza thing happened. I mean, it was so, so quick. So, um, you know, other stories aside, we uh, parted ways with our original guitarist and went back to the drawing board, and that's when we went to Jared and said, we'd like you to play guitar. And when 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 Jared was added to the band and we started uh, rehearsing together, that's when everything and that's why we did go a little bit subterranean on everything because we wanted to make sure that we were doing exactly what we wanted to do with our material before we even push forward again. That's a that's a very viable way of taking that and I think that you know in some cases you know you have to be cautious in situations like that obviously especially if you're having some kind of uh, chemistry problem with someone you don't want to get thrust into that and then just have it blow up in your face if you're not there with the right kind of people um and so you know that being said you guys you know kind of went through that period and you and you did this amazing thing you know at you know at such a young age and now you're still together you've put together several albums uh in fact, that is a question I'm at some point going to ask all of you, so think about your answer is individually of your albums that you've done, the Vision Cliff, Street Fight, the album, Pornos and Razor Blades, Circuits and Wires, and Chematica, which one is your favorite? And are they in common or are they different for each uh, band member? Are you are you also including the most recent Consciousness Fame, Gun, Money, Power? That one yes, or? yes. Of course. Well, the, that one, I, I mean, that's all of our favorites. That's all of our favorites by far. That's I mean, we, and piggybacking off of what you were talking about with the Lollapalooza thing, I mean, you know, that, that, that show, I wasn't in the band at the time, and but I, I'm sure the other guys will kind of agree with this concept. I mean, that show could have been sold out in front at, at Wembley Stadium, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't necessarily, it, it it's not really something that will always just, you know, propel you into success because if the band's not ready, it doesn't matter who's there watching. It doesn't matter how many people are there watching. It doesn't matter what kind of publicity you get. If the band wasn't ready, and I think 
which is kind of what you asked about, you know, the, the album side of things. I mean, I think from the point that I joined the band, um, you know, we really only kind of started finding out who we are as musicians, really, I think within like the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we spent a lot of time, um, for lack of a better term, making mistakes and playing with things and trying to just figure out what it was that we could do together. You know, what, what do we do together that works? And, and I mean, really we spent a lot of time, you know, figuring that out. And I, I, the cool thing about it is I think a lot of bands don't really ever get to that point. You know, they, they get to a few cool opportunities early on in their career, you know, for whatever reason it may be. And they don't have that overnight success and they just kind of assume that it's circumstantial. Um, but, you know, you have to put in your time and you have to really perfect your craft until you can expect to go anywhere in the, in the music industry. Um, you know, like comedians, for example, I mean, a lot of those guys, they're funny dudes. You know, they go out, they do their open mics, maybe they get a couple booked gigs. And they are, they're funny people. They tell great jokes. But until they get to that point where they, they kind of figure out their, their, their thing or their shtick, you know, they figure out what it is that is going to be their swagger, you know, what's going to what's make gonna them. going to set them apart. Right. And, and until you have that, you could be the greatest band on the planet. You could have all the best chops and the best looking members and the best management company and the best of everything. You could have six figure annual budget to support you. But if you don't have that one thing that people actually want, you know, that one thing that people take home with them after they see you, they go home and they think about the show or they listen to the album. If you don't have that thing, it doesn't matter who you get in front of. And it, it took us, you know, another five or six years from the time that I joined the band to really get to the point where we found, we, 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 we felt confidently that we had found that. And now, you know, we're at the point where we can change it however we want. But I mean, really, the most recent record that we did, Consciousness, Fame, God, Money, Power, I think I've, any of us would really probably say unanimously that, that that was by far our favorite album. Because it was kind of the album that I think we, uh, it's kind of the first album we did, I think, after we sort of grew up, so to speak, musically. So it's kind of the culmination of all of your experiences and the refinement of what it is that you want the band to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the first record that we really walked away from that we kind of felt like we did what we set out to do. You know, it was the first album after, you know, countless other releases that we had independently released and toured on and all that, that um, that we were really, really, you know, we were very proud of it, you know, to be able to hand it to somebody and, and be very, very excited for people to listen to it. Whereas, you know, we'd hand our CDs to our musician friends, you know, after we get out of the studio and, you know, we'd we give them our mixes. Oh, they're not mastered yet. You know, listen to them, whatever. And, you know, it, it was, it was really just nice. I think, I think for us, it was kind of the first album that we were really a hundred percent behind it after it was finished. Excellent. Um, actually kind of a random question here from the audience. Uh, this one being a technical musical question. Uh, someone is asking, what is the chord progression, uh, for the chorus of the media taught you that? Uh, for the chorus, so that would be, uh, yeah, E, uh, like E, G, G, D, A, and A. Yeah, that's all it is. E, G, D, A, and they're just power chords, like, you know, your typical Nirvana chords, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I guess, uh, the person obviously plays music themselves and just wanted to know. Um, all the songs, all the songs are in standard tuning, too. Excellent. Uh, except for the world upside down. Except for the last one, but they're all standard tuning. I, 
we get that question a lot. Good. Now, okay, so you guys actually, you know, since most of my listeners are zeitgeist-oriented, I wanted to kind of get a, you know, a, a take from you guys. Uh, what was the experience like playing, I mean, obviously not as huge as Lollapalooza, but um, for the sake of, you know, the activist side of things, uh, what was your experience like playing at the first Zeitgeist Media Festival? Um, it was awesome. I think one of the coolest things about it was um, we got a full production. Uh, you know, we we had great sound. It was a great uh, stage, a great venue in general, the music box in, in uh, Hollywood, on Hollywood Boulevard. So um, everything about that show was awesome. The location, the venue, the people that we met there. But um, as far as like the stage, you know, we we had um, a big projector screen behind us, and we actually played the very beginning of Ungrip, and this was just a few weeks before Ungrip was even released. Um, and then from that, it just faded into the Hanged Man symbol that we used on the cover of our album, and um, you know, we we've been really pushing that symbol. But um, it was cool because we had that, and then we also had Norton Wisdom, uh, one of the most incredible artists of this time. He was on stage with us, and he does, I'm not sure what you would call that, but it's a light board, um, basically a plastic board with a light behind it, and he just uses oil paints, and he does it in real time. So we would start a song, and you know, uh, one of the songs was called Believing in Vampires, and he heard that. I announced it right before we played it, and he immediately drew fangs and started drawing this vampire, you know. Um, so basically, you know, with him, if anybody who's listening doesn't know about Norton Wisdom, definitely check him out online. He's uh, he's incredible. But, you know, as, as far as the festival goes, and I'll let some of the other guys um, chime in on this, but I think it was just the whole... Um, the whole meaning of why we were there and the whole, uh, you know, obviously it, it was for the arts and it was celebrating artists. And so we were just there proud to be one of the other artists that were there, um, you know, working towards such an awesome cause. Anyone else want to chime in? I think it was, it was definitely cool because, I mean, we spent a lot of time, you know, um, opening for bigger acts and and you know a lot of times in those situations even when you're kind of like the main support band um you know you kind of get thrown on the stage and you're you're kind of in everybody's head you're kind of an afterthought like oh well this is just the opening band you know whatever and so we play a lot of big shows and we play on a lot of big stages and have big productions and we're, we're used to all that stuff um but you know heading out to california to do the zeitgeist media festival you know the one thing that was cool about it is we were kind of, um, it was really the first time I think that we, we, we did a show that had that kind of meaning behind it and that kind of message. Whereas a lot of, you know, you know, sure we played on like, you know, a million Jägermeister stages or shows that were sponsored by Miller or whatever, but to, to be at a, a, a show like that and be invited, you know, personally and, um, to be treated the way that we were treated and have the, the, the production that we had and, um, not only the the friendships that we made, I mean, just the, the people that we got to met, the other acts and the peers, it was, it was kind of cool because we get, you know, we get wrapped up in a lot of the business a lot of times, you know, we're musicians and we're kind of forced to play ball with these people that, you know, all they're really thinking about is dollars and cents and efficiency and time is money and blah, 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 which is unfortunately it's, it's a necessary component to the, to the industry. Um, but that experience out in California, it, it really wasn't about any of that, you know? 
And it's pretty rare for us um, to be in a situation like that that's so well put together, that's so so well run, um, where we're taken care of and people just genuinely um, care about our well-being and, and, and helping us as much as we help them. I mean, it was really kind of a community-driven effort, and it's not something that we see very often at all. Big props to Charlene for getting us on that show because um, that was kind of how it all started. Yeah, I remember actually kind of trying to put the two of you guys together to get all that together, and that was awesome. I, I, you know what? I'm sorry that I totally forgot about that. Thank you because that's uh, that's where that connection came from, man. That was it was awesome connection. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I I try to help bands in any way I can, and I obviously try to help activist bands even more so since I'm a love a lover of music. And a lover of activism, so yeah. Um, I brought to their attention the the Lost Children of Babylon, that rap group. Um, those guys, yeah, those guys were sick. They were awesome. Yeah, awesome dudes. I don't know. I mean, since you guys mentioned industrial, if you're familiar with them or not, but um, another uh, very uh, activist-oriented band is Vigilante out of Chile. Um, uh, I actually personally talked to uh, the main guy. Ivan, quite a bit, yes. Or Ivan, as he. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in the US right now. Yeah, yes, he is. Um, that's actually he's been. He keeps trying to. Unfortunately, all the times that he's been in Detroit, that he's wanted to meet me, I haven't been able to go. It's the same thing. I was so bummed out that I couldn't come the one time you guys were finally in Michigan because I really want to meet with you guys and I got a video camera and I've been wanting to do a video interview with you guys and throw it up on my channel. So we'll have to do that at some point if you're ever in Michigan again. How far um, are you from Lansing? Um, not too far. That that's that's reachable. Um, yeah, we're gonna be back there in July, so we can talk about that. Excellent, excellent. The only reason I couldn't make it to the last one is just you guys. Unfortunately, were in the same time I was moving out of a house and into another one, and I had a time frame I had to follow. <laughs> and if I didn't, I would have been out two thousand dollars. So obviously, <laughs> it was kind of a mad dash. We're glad. Yeah, we're glad that. Uh you know, we'll have the opportunity, hopefully, in the future to do that, for sure. But, yeah, um, Yvonne and uh, Vigilante are actually on their U.S. tour right now, and I've had uh, them and uh, another band called Enter Shikari. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I know the um, name. Yeah, the name sounds familiar, for sure. Yeah, they, uh, that's another uh, activist-oriented band. They're up, they're based out of England. Unfortunately, their uh, United States tour is ending now. They, they're finishing up in Florida, and then they'll be going back to England, but uh, another really good band. But, yeah, um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, Yvonne is a really good musician, and I'm, he's done some interesting collaborations. Like, uh, you know, and it'd be great to hear. Actually, apparently, at one point, for example, one of the songs on their new album was recorded uh, alongside one of the members of Ministry. Like, joined them for one of their songs. Oh wow! Yeah, I thought that was That's pretty good. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's good to hear, hear he finally got out of Chile. I'm trying to get him to the the media festival, but um, they're going to have to figure out how some way to deal with the. Um, uh, travel time because it looks like he's actually going to be in Europe at that time. But they're they're working on the new media festival right now. So, but um, in any case, uh, I've, we're now down to like around the last six minutes. I want to say, guys, it's been great talking to you, and, it, and it's good to listen to people who are musicians who are also people that you can have these kinds of conversations with. You know, that that's not true of every musician, and I think a lot of it is like when you guys are talking about the the money and and all that that uh, kind of gets applied to things, you know, and really uh, takes hold of it and in some cases tears it apart, that the fact that you guys have been able to keep your head, you know, perhaps, you know, honestly, major commercial success would not have been good for you guys at that early stage because uh, 
the money tends to grab bands and then make them into whatever they want and then just to toss them out the door. Um, another example of that that comes to mind is uh, Janie Lane from Warrant, a band that's only known for the band, the song Cherry Pie, uh, recently passed away last year because of just a very sad guy. Just, you know, his life was kind of wrecked by the way the industry treated him and all of his best music most people don't even know about because it was never featured. They insisted he make that pop song Cherry Pie, and as a result, nobody knows anything about the rest of his music, which is actually really good. Um, you know, and it's but it's been great that you guys can keep your integrity and be able to do these artistic things that are at the same time, you know, hopefully bringing about awareness in this world. So, I want to thank you guys for being on again. And you know, if anything big is ever coming up, don't hesitate to contact me. Ben can get an interview out of me anytime, and it helps me too because uh, one of the things that has happened to me recently is that I've been doing this for so long that I've run into a writer's block. Um, if you can imagine that as a radio host, it's just I look at my li- my show list and it's like, holy crap, I've done everything. Is there anything I haven't talked about? You know? <laughs> Maybe next time we'll we'll, uh, we'll interview you. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> man, we'll grill you. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you haven't had that happen before. <laughs> no, not not recently. Well, I have been on a few other shows for that purpose, but yeah, that's though, though usually it's a much more. I mean, like maybe some guy who advocates stuff that I don't, because there are different activist flavors and right. uh, free market economists, for example, usually have me on their show to try to argue with me, um, and that either goes bad or well, depending on how it plays out. But yeah, I have been grilled. Um, well, we'll do we'll do a Neil Kiernan uh, roast. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we'll get a bunch of dirt first. <laughs> I'll certainly think about it. And you know, and you know, I want to say, uh, you know, thank you for giving us the venue and the platform to be doing this because it's again, it's people like you that um, that has helped us out tremendously, you know, and my myself personally. So, you know, a big thank you goes out to you as well. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very much. Much love. And uh, and uh, you know, um, we were talking about the Zeitgeist Media Festival. I just wanted to throw this in there before we end this program. Uh, we have been. Um, you know, all but confirmed for this next, this upcoming Zeitgeist Media Festival as well. Excellent, excellent. That'll be great. I mean, I wish I could make it to these damn things, but they're always on the other side of the world since Peter moved to California. Yeah. Just hop in the van with us. We can pick you up. Yeah, in we'll Michigan. pick you up when we come through Michigan. Yeah, dude. <laughs> just just take a couple of weeks off, maybe a couple of months off work, and. Like that. <laughs> Man, if only I could. The days when I was a bachelor and didn't have kids. Um, but they don't, have, they don't have to know about anything. Yeah, dude. <laughs> well, thanks again, guys, for being on. Um, uh, what? Where can people learn more about Sonic? Give me a URL real quick. I uh, just go to our Facebook page. It's just facebook.com backslash Hirosonic. Uh, you can go to Hirosonic.com. Um, look That's- us up on YouTube. Just uh, for the spelling, that's H-I-E-R-O-S-O-N-I-C. Excellent. And, yeah, you guys can find the the spelling as well uh, here in the description of this radio show. So thanks again, folks. And uh, for those of you tuning in, if this is the first time checking out V-Radio, please visit my website, v-radio.org. There you will find links to more shows like this one in the archive section, my must-see TV list of free documentaries to watch on the Internet, and um, hopefully, you know, to get some more interviews with uh, bands that are, you know, socially conscious, this is something I really enjoy doing and I don't think gets done enough in the mainstream media, at least not with people that I'd like to hear from. 
Um, thankfully, the Internet is breaking the stranglehold of the record companies, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Thanks again, gentlemen, for being on. I might talk to you just a little bit off the air after the show is over here, and um, go ahead and say goodbye. Goodbye. Take care. So long. Farewell. Ciao. I love you. Yep. Cheers. <laughs> here we go. Thanks again, folks, and you're so listening to V Radio. And I need to end the show, but the button isn't working. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, man.